TFM. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Star Trek Enterprise podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as always, is my esteemed co-host, Matthew Rushing. Matthew, you're looking quite smashing today. Looks like you've got your hair cut, like you're ready to go on a little excursion, maybe down to Comet. Yeah, I feel like we just don't get out enough, Chris, you yeah. know, uh, and obviously the NX is not quite as spacious as, you know, many of the other starships. Although, you know, I was just rewatching uh, the motion picture and reminded how claustrophobic those hallways are. So it's not mm. like they really get too much bigger until we get, I guess, really to the Enterprise D. So, right. yeah, we got to put up, put up with small hallways until then. Yeah, we got to get out sometimes. And some people might think if you're going down to a comet, just you and Malcolm, who's going to see you? Who cares what your hair looks like? But you want to look good for those Vulcan snowmen. It's true. You never know uh, when the Vulcans are going to show up. Uh, and they just like to show it up at the most inopportune times. So Yeah, and apparently their captain is one of those guys who likes to watch. And Archer said, just let him. So, <laughs> Which... One of the creepiest things ever, you know, like who knew that Vulcans were like peeping Toms? So, yeah, it's a they're peeping to arms. There is an apostrophe. There you go. The, yes. the name there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there yeah, would I be a hyphen was there. A, mm-hmm. Quite a funny line from the episode that we're going to talk about today, everyone, which is breaking the ice. And here is a quick recap for those who haven't seen it in a while. When the Enterprise takes a detour to investigate a comet, the biggest that any human has ever seen, at least up close. A series of trials puts trust to the test, and things get frosty as Vulcan human animosity and suspicions once again come to the surface aboard the NX-01 while Malcolm and Travis build a snowman on the comet's surface. There's a lot of ice to break in this episode, so Matthew, let's just jump in. So you might just say that the ice Vulcan cometh? Yes, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, this episode starts with a little bit of fun, which I really like, and I think is very appropriate for the setting of a show where humans are venturing out into deep space for the first time. They've received drawings from Tripp's nephew's school. He's in the fourth grade. And then later they receive these questions from students at uh, elementary school in Ireland, Worley Elementary School, asking them about what it's like to be in space and beyond the starship. So, Which me- means that O'Brien's, you know, uh, ancestors are probably there. Probably so. They're probably... I'm surprised one of the questions wasn't, what does it take to become the most important person in Starfleet history? As they foreshadow. <laughs> Good old so Miles. True. Yes. But no, I thought it would be fun to just start our discussion today before we get into any of the heavy stuff about Topol's arranged marriage and all that kind of stuff. And just talk about the fact that students are sending drawings and more importantly to me, sending questions to the astronauts, essentially, because it kind of reminds me of mm-hmm. years ago, like when I was in school and the space program before it went into hibernation for so long. And we were watching space shuttles launch regularly. And we were all very interested in like what 
was yep. life like for astronauts and all. And I think they did a good job of recapturing that here. And I love the questions that they mm-hmm. get. Yeah, I was loving what they were doing here. I thought it was so smart and, and mainly just because this is exactly the type of thing that you do with people. Um, you know, when they go off and do something, you know, you, write them letters, you ask them questions, you know. In fact, it's very funny that we were watching this episode and talking about it today because we legitimately just did this. We have a young adults group there at the church, and one of our members is in the mission field and did the exact same thing. She sent us back a video uh, with answers to questions to which we had asked her to tell us what her life is like and what, you know, things are like there and all that kind of thing. And so the exact same thing we're doing right now, you know, and I just thought that that was so neat. And and I think it was really fun because you think about this too. This is humanity's first major venture out into the space this far with a ship like this. So it makes complete sense then there's no Starfleet beyond Earth's Starfleet at this point. So Earth itself is responsible for this mission. And therefore, you would want the press for that mission at home to be good. And you would be wanting to encourage more students to maybe want to join Starfleet as well. Right. So this yeah. is this is all about PR. I mean, when you think about the realities of what they're doing right here, it makes absolute sense to us today in the way in which we think about political relations and 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 that kind of stuff. So really I think fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, great. And and the education element is excellent as well mm-hmm. and yep. it shows how it just puts the show closer to us. Is the bottom line mm-hmm. for me that just makes it feel like we can really relate to what's going on in a way that we right. can't with the later series on the timeline. And I think they did a great job of doing that here. Did, did the the case that you're talking about there at the church, did anyone send in a sanitation question? We did not have any poop <laughs> questions. Uh, and so, uh, you know, not, not really the type of question that y- you, you want to have. Yeah. But, you know, and I thought that, you know, I'm sure probably at the beginning and when this episode first came out, people bristled at that. But Archer is absolutely 100% correct. This is a valid question about what life is like on a starship. And, and these are the type of questions that fourth grade boys would want to know, right? <laughs> right. Like, so I, that's exactly the type of question you would exactly. get. Um, and, and so I really, uh, this whole sequence, I really appreciated because I thought that the writers here have really thought, I think, very deeply about what this would actually be like for yeah. the enterprise and the reality of them being on this mission and and what people would be wanting to know back home as well and so the ways in which they're connecting with us and and like the letters of the apostle paul they would i'm sure this video gets copied and sent to all sorts of different schools you know um it's not just for one school it's going to be for you know get get sent all over the place it's going to be all over whatever news services they have at this point oh, on, right on, yeah uh, earth you know i mean it's going to be on earth tiktok or whatever they call right. it trip will probably be like it'll have that you know somebody will probably dubstep it poop question poop 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 question <laughs> yeah, exactly, poop, exactly. Poop, poop question i mean you know so and you know that at least half a dozen people are going to podcast about it so that's 
I mean, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. So Deep or holocast. I'm sure there's probably some sort of like holocast or something like well, that. Well, only these days. only for those who have had secret contact with the Zerillians at this point. Uh, that's true. I mean, yeah. you know, Trip says that he's seen holograms before, just not quite obviously that successfully done. So, yeah, right. you yeah, know, yeah. they probably have some sort of holography at this point, just not yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, being serious, I think that is an interesting point, because if you extrapolate the timeline from where we are now to where they are, looking at our own technology, we we'll probably will have holographic technology, not like a holodeck, not like mm-hmm. next generation holodeck, but some sort of holographic technology by this time on the timeline so yeah i think that makes perfect sense all right well let's get into a more serious topic here and talk about one of the things that's at the core of this story and that's the fact that topol has received a transmission from the vulcan ship that showed up and trip reads the letter finds out that it's something very personal and that plays out in several ways throughout the story and different things that we can talk about. And one of them is, should the crew still be suspicious of T'Pol at this point? I found it interesting that, I mean, I find it interesting in the non-interesting. Of course, if a transmission is received to a vessel, which is essentially a military vessel, without permission, I think it is appropriate for the communications officer and the captain to investigate what that is. But given the dynamics of this small crew and the relationships that they have, I think they could have gone to T'Pol and just asked, hey, we noticed you received something. What's going on? Instead of going about it the way that they did. Yeah, I, I was thinking about this and, and part of it. In, in this episode, obviously playing on the idea of trust in, in the Vulcans themselves, and I think the fact that this follows right after the last episode where we've learned mm-hmm. that the Vulcans are completely untrustworthy and have been shown to be absolute liars mm-hmm. makes much more sense. So if you watch the episodes here in continuity, Trip coming across this message that is encrypted after what just happened... There, I don't think there's any question that he makes the right decision to say what's going on. And like he said, too, if this hadn't been encrypted, if it had just been marked, this is for T'Pol, nobody would have cared. But it's right. the encryption that makes it look suspicious. And of course, suspicions are higher right now because of what we just experienced with the Andorians and the Vulcans last week at Pajem. And so I don't really know if this is so much about T'Pol as it is more about the experience that humanity continues to have with the Vulcans. And I think it also becomes that thing where, you know, uh, once Trip realizes this is immensely personal, you know, he, he he tells the captain, you don't want me telling you this. You don't want to know this. This is too personal. This is not something that w- we should have known. And, and it, honestly, kind of putting it on the Vulcans, basically, that... If they had just done the right thing and just sent it to us normally, nobody would have been the wiser. Um, mm-hmm. And and yet there is a slight blessing in disguise here is that by this happening, Trip and Paul get to have a conversation they would have never had before. And that conversation irreparably changes to Paul's life forever, actually. 
right. this one little conversation makes all the difference. And I, so I, I really like the whole thing is very nuanced and I think it's very well written. And I was really enjoying watching this part of the episode because obviously it is the meat of the episode. And again, I think we're struck with there's such chemistry between these two actors. You kind of just want to put them on screen whenever you get a chance together. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it changes her life forever, changes the course of her life and also their relationship. Perhaps mm-hmm. if you look at it on a rewatch and then consider what happens down the road. Yeah. It's interesting. Like you said, if the Vulcans had just done the right thing and just said, hey, this is for it to pull. What I think is interesting there too is that you get a bit of cultural misunderstanding, I guess would be the word here, like the way of going about things. I suspect that from the Vulcan point of view, they probably have a protocol where they have to encrypt communications if they're sending them to another ship. So they probably didn't think they were doing anything unusual. They were just doing what they're supposed to do. You know, and if you're a Vulcan, you don't want to deviate from what you're supposed to do. Part of that, though, is the way it comes in. It doesn't come across the normal channels either. Mm -hmm. This is something that Trip discovers in like a like a strange background burst of, you know, and so it's, it's, it's not as though this is coming through normal communication channels at all. Again, too, if it had been coming through normal communication channels, I'm, you know, I'm sure, you know, we've, we've, um, I know Warp 5 has has made the joke and even had the conversation of like, does Facebook exist on on Enterprise? You know, what happened to social media? You right. know, I, everybody on the show has their own pad and I'm sure that pad does get mail to it, you know, electronic mail that's sent to yeah. it yeah. Um, from family members and stuff. And then I'm sure it comes through Hoshi's communication console. And if this had just come through the, the regular communications network again i don't know if there would have been and i'm sure archer could have asked hey you got an encrypted message you know is there anything i need to know and to paul could have said no captain it's personal and again you would have completely dropped it it's just the way that it's not as though this was even coming in on normal channels well i have to say if that is what had happened this episode would have been really boring because you know, most short. of the episode wouldn't have happened <laughs> in the first place. We would have just had 42 minutes of mm-hmm. Travis and right. Malcolm down there building snowmen, and that would have been it. So, <laughs> well, Can we also say, too, Chris, I mean, this also shows how Vulcans mistrust humans. It's It goes both ways here, you know, right, because right. they did it just send yeah. the, and, and so I think, yeah. to me, that, you know, we keep, harping on the fact and i think it's very true we obviously see here that the idea of trust and the relationship between humans and vulcans is strained especially with archer involved uh in his experience but we also see that vulcans don't really trust humanity either right yeah exactly i was going to bring that up that it shows the way they went about it shows how vulcans still kind of view humans as very much below them. And you see that with Captain Vanek when they have the dinner and the way that he behaves, the way he talks. He has such disdain for humans Mm -hmm. that, yeah, I made the point that they probably have protocols to do this. And then, as you said, it went through kind of like a behind-the-scenes 
way of getting it to her. And I think that was also a reflection of this dismissive view that Vanek has mm-hmm. of humans. That and He probably thought that there's no way the humans would detect it in the first place because they're too primitive. Yeah. No, I think you're right. <laughs> Just like a, when he first shows up and he says, you know, are you lost? Everything okay? You know, what are you doing out here? Yeah. Captain Vanek, I think, is he's a really great example of that Vulcan attitude towards humans at this point in the series. We've seen other Vulcans. We've seen how they talk to the humans. They tend to be more diplomatic, at least, because they're in positions where they do have to regularly interact with humans. But here is a Vulcan captain who probably rarely, if ever, comes into contact with humans. So he doesn't have to pretend. He doesn't have to be diplomatic. He's just being himself. And I think it's really telling. Yeah, I I was I was really interested in the portrayal. Uh, and I think you did really and you have really hit on something that is is fascinating in the way in which his just utter disdain and it's not even just a stain. It it comes off as complete indifference, which is actually worse. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. he could care less. And you know that he's only there because of the message to which he's delivered to T'Pol and the possibility that, you know, he might be taking her back to Vulcan, basically. But yes, the absolute disdain uh, and indifference towards humanity as if they're like ants to him. So why yeah. would he be interested in anything is is quite disturbing. And I think it shows the absolute arrogance of the Vulcan people at this point, which is, I think, a really great uh, difference. And it gives us somewhere to go with these characters. So, yeah, yeah, I think it's interesting how they're portraying the Vulcans here, because the Vulcans that we are seeing are primarily military or related to the space program in some way. I just want to keep in mind that the Vulcan people as a whole may not have that attitude towards humans, but right. they also exactly. don't interact with humans mm-hmm. yet at this yep. point. So the the people that we're seeing because of their role in Vulcan society, their involvement in space, their involvement with other alien races – Mm-hmm. They have this attitude towards towards humans that oh they're the new kids on the block they shouldn't be out yep. here yet we told them not to come we don't approve of this and so we're going to dismiss them at every opportunity yes hundred percent yeah that's a really good point right while we're still talking about the letter then the next thing that we should touch on here is this whole idea of the Vulcan arranged marriage which is, of course, something that we've known about since the original series because we saw it in A Mm Lot of Time with Spock and we learned about it then. It's the way that T'Pol portrays the situation here I think is very interesting because she really feels, you can tell she feels trapped in the tradition of her culture and when we started the series, I think she had no interest of going into deep space with humans on the Enterprise. 
but she's just bit by bit becoming comfortable in this mission. I think she, she wouldn't tell you this, but I think she's starting to enjoy being around the humans and the crew. It's interesting to her, I think. And the prospect of being pulled away from that is something that she doesn't really like at the moment. It's not something she really wants to do, but she feels that she cannot make any other choice. And the conversation that she has with Trip about this when they first talk about the contents of the letter is like an interesting exploration of the idea, of course, of arranged marriages, but of the Vulcan culture. And then contrast that with how humans approach things with what Trip tells her about her having a choice. And then fast forward to the end of the episode when Archer doesn't want to take help from the Vulcans, but she tells Archer that you have a choice. You're human. You have a choice. Meaning, I'm Vulcan. I don't have a choice, but you're human and you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I really do uh, think that is interesting because what's fascinating is to watch Trip be able to get through to her and give her another option that she would never have thought of because for Vulcans, this is tradition. It's all about the communal experience, you know, in many ways, uh, I think that reflects the East West divide that we feel mm-hmm. because they're, they're much more collectivistic, the Vulcans and and especially at this time period. Um, but we also see that for, I mean, gosh, the same way it was for Spock, right? Him joining Starfleet was a was a ridiculous deal for right, his father right. and not being a, a fan of that idea. And so I do think that this is a great continuation and 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 look at that. Uh, and it gives us an opportunity to really truly explore the very first Vulcan to really begin to work through the challenging of their own culture from humanity's perspective. Uh, and I think that's really interesting. You know, obviously humanity is being challenged by to Paul and Vulcans. Um, but here we see the reciprocal nature of that. And I think it's really well done here. And it, again, it makes for a very interesting story then as we move forward, you know, with the rest of this show and it gives to Paul somewhere to go. Right. It's also interesting. I'm thinking now, that humans are affecting Vulcans in this way of making them question their adherence to traditions and their culture and the way they view the world, in a sense. Mm -hmm. And yet, Vulcans have had encounters with many alien species before humans, which suggests that there's something unique about humans in this respect, But I don't think that that's necessarily Mm -hmm. the case if we look at all the species in Star Trek. So then my head starts spinning about, okay, who have the Vulcans bad up to this point? What are those species like? Why is it that humans, apart from the fact that it's a TV show being written by humans and we want to explore our own view of the world, our own conditions, why are humans pushing Vulcans in this way? And I don't know that there's an answer to that. Well, it does seem like it's the first time. Yeah. I mean, it really does seem like though this is the first time that Vulcans have really stretched themselves 
and put themselves in this position in the first place with another race like yeah, this. Yeah, that's probably They stayed the on Earth, and yeah. that really, I think, creates this very interesting situation. And, and so, you know, to Paul is very much the first... We, we hear about, you know, Vulcans really kind of just staying at the Vulcan compound when they're on Earth. They don't, uh, you know, and, and we really don't see have them having much interaction with anyone other than Starfleet personnel. Um, and then it seems like they pretty much just go back to their cloistered in, environment and, and don't really get out much. And again, T'Pol is the very first Vulcan that seems to be in the middle of a group of humans exclusively with no other Vulcans around. Uh, and that has, I mean, that has an impact on, on who you are. You know, it, it would be like if, if I moved to another country and I'm a surrounded by only one accent, my accent's probably going to begin to change because yeah. I only hear words being said in one way. Right. But this is happening on, I think, an entirely different level, obviously, here with, you know, T'Pol now and her, the way in which humanity is impacting her uh, and and changing her perspective. And so, yeah. and I think it's really interesting because obviously you put Trip and T'Pol together and they are opposites, right, in the way that they think. And Trip is, I think, the quintessential American in the sense of, of you know, how he reacts and interacts and thinks about things and, and mm -hmm. I, I could say in many ways too he's kind of the quintessential american you right. know like yeah. Uh, it, yeah so yeah i i just it it's fascinating I, I think it just makes for great storytelling yeah yeah this is something that's easy for me to relate to because i have lived in japan for 25 years although i'm american and i'm originally from alabama culturally where I grew up and where I've lived the second half of my life up to this point are very different. And mm -hmm. they also mirror in many ways what we see here between humans and Vulcans, the very individualistic view that Tripp shows from the American perspective. Whereas here, you know, our society is very much a collective. It is a society first, individual second society. And things are evolving a bit these days, but still, we're much more like the Vulcans. And living here, you know, I've always been part of a Japanese family and just live out in the, not the countryside per se, really, but, you know, I don't live in the center of the city. And so I really assimilated into the society here. But I see other people who come here sometimes for even four or five years, and they stay hidden away as much as possible in an enclave where everyone speaks English and the culture is still American, and they don't really get out much, like you're saying, like the Vulcans mm -hmm. at the compound in San Francisco. And you can see a stark difference in people who do assimilate and people who don't. And also, your views do evolve and they do change. And yeah. that's a really good point that we see reflected gradually through this series in, in a number of characters, but we're starting to see here a bit with T'Pol. Well, and I mean, I think obviously as we rewatch the series, this is 
a foreshadowing of their romance. And this begins yeah. very well because inadvertently to Paul and Tripp are now linked in a way personally to which nobody else on this ship is linked personally with to Paul and will never be as linked. You know, um, this is, you know, a lot of people I remember watching the show uh, originally and people kind of thinking that it was going to be Archer and to Paul and, yeah, you know, right. They never get this personal until much later in the series. And so uh, you you can see here that that's exactly what they're going for. And I, I think the way that they do it and the fact that they take their time with it, it makes it actually pretty beautiful and it makes it really realistic, especially with these types of characters to which are so different. And so I think that it it's it's just a really, it's really well done. You know, I, I really appreciate the way in which they they do this so yeah well opening up to trip in this just talking to him at all about the situation for a vulcan is opening up for sure and it does start to establish some level of trust between the two of them that leads to things later on of course and mm -hmm. and like you said yeah i remember people thinking yeah it's going to be archer and Paul who are going to have a romance, kind of like Picard and Beverly in the next generation, right. perhaps something like that. And and they don't get closer until later on. And then when they do, it becomes more of a like a brother sister kind of mm -hmm. relationship, right? I, I always think to that final scene in the final episode, and mm -hmm. to Paul straightening Archer's tie before he goes right. out to give the speech. I thought that. That sums up how their relationship evolved perfectly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I also like here, and uh, we should just say spoiler alert for some people who might be listening to this, watching Enterprise for the first time. The show's been out for 20 years. And as with all of our podcasts, we talk across the series, not just episode by episode as if we've never seen it before. So we are going to talk about things that happen down the road a bit as we're doing right here with the romance. And and that said, I just wanted to say that I like how already so early in season one, they're already setting up a storyline that's really going to pay off in the fourth season when Tripp and T'Pol are together and then finally this whole arranged marriage situation comes to a head and plays mm -hmm. out and that was a great job you know we often talk on the orb about how on ds9 the writers do such a great job of pulling threads from earlier stories and turning them into something yep and this is a wonderful thread that they've laid out here already right at the mm -hmm. beginning of the series. Absolutely. A bit earlier, actually, than I would expect something like this to come out, to be honest. Yeah. No, I 100% I agree with you. And I, and I think it ends up being something that's worth watching, you know, throughout the series. And this is also the beginning of, of Paul's journey towards exploring who she is going to be in light of her interaction with humanity and the way that that challenges her and i find that very interesting so another point to talk about i mentioned that you know trip tells to paul that you do have a choice 
mm-hmm. but to Paul tells him that, you know, he has a choice because he's human, but she doesn't have a choice. But then later on, Archer really needs the help from the Vulcans, but he doesn't want to take the help. And T'Pol tells him to set aside his pride and take the help. And you're human. You have a choice. You can choose to take the help. And I was thinking about like the price of pride. And mm-hmm. at this point, humans, they're sick of the Vulcans watching over them for a hundred years. They really want to go do their own thing. Archer's in command. He wants to show that he can do it. His crew can do it. Humans can do it. But really, in this situation, they could use some help. And just talk a little bit about what you see here in terms of the story and how we're like, I like the title, Breaking the Ice. It has so many meanings in here. And also, I think, like, breaking through that, that shield of pride that humans have at this point is also important. Yeah, I I think, you know, like you said, the title is perfect here um, for the way that it is, uh, you know, kind of breaking the ice between a lot of different things, between the, the Vulcans and humanity, between, you know, what's actually happening on the comet, what's happening between T'Pol and Trip. Archer uh, it, trying and, to break the ice at dinner, but it, not succeeding. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, and I think what I love is... Even though it is pulling teeth for Archer at this point personally to tamp down that hu- that hu- uh, pride and be more humble, be the more humble, be the better person mm-hmm. and ask for help uh, at the expense of quote unquote his pride. Like it, you, you realize what it, it doesn't cost him anything to, to really do that. And I think it's a great learning lesson for him. And it would have been interesting if we had ever followed up with this captain again, if the situation, if that captain would have, because of what happened here, more respect than for Archer. But regardless, I think everybody around Archer and his crew and to Paul all gain immense respect for who he is um, because he's willing to do this. And so I think it's one of those places we talked about how much growth there is for Trip and to Paul in this episode, but this is a place where Archer really grows as a character, and this is a theme that's already been playing out throughout the series so far, and it's really cool to see us continuing and not forgetting about these characteristics that we need to continue to kind of chip away at and make a more perfect marble statue. You know, like this the same way Michelangelo would talk about all he would see was the sculpture and he was just taking away the excess marble. That's exactly what these characters are doing slowly and surely throughout the series. Yeah. Well put. Yeah. Great way to describe it. And it's not just human pride here too. We see Vulcan pride as well in Vanek who doesn't want to have the data from the comet, which I thought was interesting because the Vulcans are all about science. I mean, maybe they already know everything about comets like this perhaps, but you know, Vanek could have still said, oh, thank you, and taken it anyway, and then tossed it out the airlock after the Enterprise left. It's it's just something that mm-hmm. he felt like, no, no, we're Vulcans. We don't need your little data that you gathered. And yep. so you see their pride as well. All right. Well, and we talked 
in each of our recent episodes about technology. So just to point out one thing here, we see tractor beams, which Starfleet doesn't have at this point either. So there's another very mm-hmm. common technological staple of Star Trek that we're seeing. Well, and it's cool too, because, you know, you do get some of the frustration here that humanity has had with the Vulcans, which is, oh, that's classified. We're not going to help you, (laughs) you know, and it's just like, oh, thanks for being jerks, you know, Um, things that could really help us out here as we make our journey, ways to which you could really um, help us as as a people. And nope, nope, we we could, but we're not going to. But we're not going to. I can imagine you just go up to Captain Vanek and say, how are you feeling today? And he'll say, our feelings are classified. Exactly. (laughs) You know, with the tractor beam, too, is interesting because this is a technology that the Vulcans have that they could have shared with mm-hmm. humans at any point. And it seems yep. like a fairly harmless technology, right? It would be useful, but yet. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Still don't like, have what, what are you going to do with a tractor beam other than like pull stuff? Well, you, you know, can, you can move chairs around the room, Matthew. You can do that. Oh, yeah. That would be, yeah. man, <laughs> the worst. All right. Well, I think we've run down this episode pretty thoroughly. We don't really have a lot of, you know, behind the scenes or reception type stuff to talk about on this one. It was generally given about a middle of the the road rating by people, I think. It's uh going into final thoughts, I'll just say, you know, I think it's a a good average Star Trek episode. It's a good story. It's good for the characters. Uh, it looks good. Uh, this episode did win or it was nominated for visual effects, although it lost to Broken Bow, so it's still within Enterprise. I remember watching it the first time and thinking how amazing the comet looks. Because in 2001, on television, these were some pretty impressive effects that you would normally only see. I mean, it on looks better screen. than the comet from the beginning of Deep Space Nine, right? I mean, that's, uh, yeah, the, you yeah, know, yeah. We, that's what we we're kind of comparing it to. So right, right, I mean, right, it looks right. fantastic. Yeah. So it's a, I think it's a, a great episode. Uh, I won't give my rating quite yet in case you have any final thoughts you want to share. Yeah, you know, one thing um, I was just thinking is I do love the way this this episode ends with the the pecan pie sitting there at, yeah. you know, to Paul's uh, meditation table. And I think there's it says so much without having to say, you know, any character having to say anything in that she is stretching herself she is mm-hmm. she is unfurling her wings and 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 learning to fly a different way and part of that is trying pecan pie and not only that but i think it does say, it says volumes that this is something that trip had recommended to her and right. now their relationship yeah. is at a different level but she's also willing to try something new that a normal vulcan probably wouldn't try which is desserts sweets the way Tripp describes it to her, he's like, it's not good for the body, but it sure is good for the soul. And in the way in which there's something about eating something that is really well made and just kind of it hits a spot that goes beyond the physical hunger. And and, and that, that's kind of one of the, the I think the beauties of being human and the way we experience food. And like she's trying that. And, and, and so it, it I don't know the whole thing. I just. I really enjoy the way that the episode ends there. I think it's just really clever. And 
um, to me, again, it's a it, it's really showing how these writers are kind of just thinking, and it's not even just about the words that are used. It's just the it's the way things are portrayed on screen as well, and then yeah. that's good television. Yeah, absolutely. For a minute there, I thought you were going to say, and that's the beauty of pecan pie. well if i liked pecan pie yes um but i'm not actually a huge fan of pecan pie i don't really love nuts in things like in cookies and stuff like that um so like if this had been apple pie then i totally would have been on board (laughs) but um no i just it's it's great you know yeah i think it's a good point you know i i tweeted i think yesterday on after i rewatched this again i tweeted a photo of the pecan pie from the very end of the episode. And I just mentioned the final shot, you know, pecan pie, it's the final shot. What does that say? But yeah, it says a lot. And like you say, I think another important point is that Trip offered it to her. She refused. And then she brings it in to try at the end. That connection to Trip, like you said, is something that really stands out to me and I think is important. So I'm going to give this episode six hands caught in the cookie jar. Nice. Nice. I am going to give this, I think, four out of five encrypted letters uh, because I really like this episode. I think uh, it's a standout episode for the season so far. And, you know, as we've been watching through uh, Enterprise season one, there really just hasn't been a just a, a god awful clunker, right? You know, it, it's there. There's there's been some that haven't been quite as high as others, but I'm really enjoying the rewatch of season one. Yeah, same here, definitely. And next week we're going to be heading down to another alien world and uh, try to help some people with some diseases that they're suffering from, and maybe get a little bit of a I think a TOS feel into Enterprise once again. Mm-hmm. So everyone, if you would like to share your thoughts with us on Breaking the Ice, we would love to hear from you. There are many ways to do that. A great way to join in the conversation is, of course, in the Babel Conference. That's our private listeners group on Facebook. If you're not yet a member, just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the Facebook search field, and it should come right on up. If not, just type the whole thing, the Babel Conference, It is a closed group. It is for listeners. So we ask a few questions when you join. I do need you to answer those questions and agree to the rules of the forum so that I can let you in. But we'd love to talk to you there. We do a post for each episode and then we have a discussion below that post. So just look for that one for Breaking the Ice. You can also send us email the good old-fashioned way by going to our website at trek.fm slash contact Use the form there, choose to send to a show, choose Warp 5, and that'll come to Matthew and me by email. And you can also find us on Twitter. Our username is TrekFM, and that's our username pretty much everywhere in social media, including on Instagram, where you can find our posts there. Now, Matthew, when you're not figuring out how to get your green tea without a little bit of milk in it, if you order right after trip, where can people find you and what you're doing? Oh, well, uh, it's always a struggle uh, to make that happen. But you could find me over on our whole other side of the network called the 602 Club as we are talking about all of the fandoms outside of the Star Trek fandom. Uh, and so hope you'll join us there in that feed. There's a couple of bonus shows as well. Uh, we've got Snyder Cuts as well as Assembling Avengers 
Both of those shows really fun, so I hope you'll check all of that out in the 602 Club feed. And then also doing Literary Treks and The Orb. Chris, you and I talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine on The Orb and Literary Treks. Of course, it's about the books and the comics of Star Trek. As well as you can find me over on the Nerd Party Network, I did a finished show with Drea Kaufman called Owl Post as we talked through every chapter of the Harry Potter series one chapter at a time and doing aggressive negotiations with just Star Wars podcast with my good friend John Mills. And then, of course, uh, on social media, look for the name Matt Rushing Zero Two. I'd love to get a chance to catch up with you there. Now, Chris, um, when you're not trying to figure out how Texas A&M beat Alabama, <laughs> where can people find you? How did you know that's what I've spent the last two weeks doing, Matthew? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was the Alabama sweatshirt you're wearing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Believe me, yeah. I was just as shocked. <laughs> that, that was a, a, a heartbreaking moment. And for listeners who don't know, Texas A&M is Matthew's school. So we have that little yes. SEC face-off going there. Well, when I'm not doing that, Matthew, I am busy with my usual work doing magazines and such, of course, but also with podcasting. I do some other stuff here on the network. I have The Ready Room, which is my long-running main show going back 11 years, which I now do with Larry Nemechek. And we're planning to record a new episode here in a few days. Hopefully that's going to work out as we're ready to talk about Lower Decks now that Season 2 has ended. And also, of course, you and I do the Orb and Literary Treks, and I have Interphase, which is a Star Trek Universe podcast, and you can hear me on past episodes of all sorts of shows, including Warp 5 here for the first couple of years, as I'm the original host of this show. So if you want to check all that out, just go and find our podcasts in your favorite podcast app, or on our website at trek.fm. And if you'd like to chat with me in social media, my username on Twitter is C Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. That's my username everywhere in social media, but Twitter is where I'm most active. So feel free to hit me up there. I also do pop into the Babel Conference, of course, our listeners group on Facebook. So feel free to leave comments about this episode there, as we talked about earlier. If you'd like to help us keep all of this going, Warp 5, The 602 Club, The Ready Room, all the shows that we're doing on the network, we could definitely use your help through Patreon. If you'd like to support the network, if you'd like to become an associate producer, get involved in other ways, reach out to us and check out patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to find out how we really do need your help right now to keep everything going. And I'd like to say thank you to everyone who's supporting us now. We really could not keep the network going without you. And I thank you so much for your support. All right, Matthew. Well, that was fun. I'm going to be busy now getting my makeup done. You know, I'm going to get flocks to convert me into an Akali so I can head down and uh, check out what's happening in next week's episode, Civilization. Chris, that sounds like a great plan. Let's go. 